This is Behold, a VBC podcast. Our goal is to examine biblical truth that will better equip you to behold the glory of the Lord more fully in your daily life. And without further ado, here is the Behold podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to the Behold Podcast, dear listener. We say this every week, but if you're a longtime listener, man, we're grateful for you. We're grateful that this is a part of uh, just your week and your routine of of getting recharged, of filling your cup, and just reminding your heart and mind of uh, some things that that the Lord is is putting into our church family through His Word and these teaching series that we're we're going through. My name is Sean, and my boy Dan. What's up, y'all? And the one and the only Charlie. Lyle Mang. Mm. Hello. Hello. Mm. I said Charlie Lyle, not Charles Lyle. I like it. Charlie Lyle. <laughs> Charlie Lyle. What Char- does it say on your birth certificate? Is it Char- Charles? Charles in yeah. charge. Yeah. That's great. Chuckles. Yeah, Chuckleberry Finn. <clears throat> um, hey, should we do we I feel like we should do a little um we should do a little art camp like recap. We haven't like have we haven't debriefed since then. How was your art camp experience? Did you love it? I heard that you were a hit over there. I, I, yeah, I got to teach for 10 minutes and, uh, man, I have not taught a large group of four to 12 year olds. <laughs> I mean, that's in it, it maybe ever. No, definitely. I have, but it, in a long, it's a long tall time. order. It's it a is. tall order. It's, yep. it's, it's, uh, you got 10 minutes. Yep. You got a huge range of ages. Yep. You got Cohen Gillette in there. Oh boy. He, he's, he's a challenge. <laughs> a handful right there. He's a challenge. So I heard that there was some some chicken clucking going on. Turkey, turkey, yes. Turkey. So, so oh, what I did was I just you, yeah. I, you know I, I took us through Philippians four and and talked through how we don't let the hard things in life get us dizzy. The idea was dizziness. We, they made spinners that night and that kind of stuff, right? So, um, and just talked through you know what, what does Philippians four walk us through four through seven? And so it's it's you stop and you remember that the Lord is near, right? If we can keep that in our mind. So remember was the first one I had hand motions for this. So remembers point at your head. And then we talk to God, right? Prayer and petition. We present our requests to God. So talk was hands by the mouth. Mm. And then we thank God. And so I said, when I think about Thanksgiving, I think about turkeys. And so we did the turkey and I to all of them. And they, they, they loved it. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, they'll remember turkeys. That's all you need. That's all you That's need. All you need. <laughs> and they'll associate you yes. with turkeys. Yes. I feel and like that is exactly what you need. And for those of you wondering, the last one was rest, and that was the Steph Curry night night, which oh, they love that as fun. well. So yeah, that's it was good. good. Yeah, it was a great time. Um, yep. Shout out to the whole team that made that that art camp happen. It was just a great, great vibe. Yeah, and, cool. Uh, cool, cool. Quick story was um, <clears throat> um, my ne- niece and nephew were in town from Kentucky, and uh, they don't they don't typically go to church, and so you know, for them to be around that big of a group of kids was a unique experience for them. And like the third night, my mom uh, asked my nephew, how's it going? Is he, is he enjoying it? And he says, he said this to my, to my mom, I feel more alive there than I ever have in my life. Wow. And that, and that's it, right? That's like so I, cool. I shared that with the Altamont community this, this past week. And um, that's the goal. Like, obviously like there's so much hard work. So Nicole and Christy and everybody else, like so much hard work poured into that mm-hmm. thing. Um, and, and yet that was the the goal in mind and it makes that work worth it, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I do feel like, uh, I, I need to point out this being a podcast, just some visual elements that are happening right now. So I'm here in the control room uh, by myself. Handsome and then, as ever. And then Sean and Charlie are in, are in the other room separated by glass. 
and they're both wearing their their VBC logoed black shirts and cool guy hats. And I'm just here sitting like just like a goober, no hat, no shirt. No, I mean I do have a shirt, shirt on. <laughs> Dan, Dan's I, naked in the booth. I over don't there. have I don't have the cool guy VBC logo. Well, do you shirt. want to hear how cool uh, Sean is? I do. This is a great story. So Sean actually. shows up this morning. Uh, and is like, oh man, yeah. And you know, as I'm leaving the house, like some baby food spilled on me, you know, he, he's, he's got a good attitude about it, but he's just talking through. And then he comes walking out of his office after a few minutes and he's looking back and his whole back. I mean, that's, that's an exaggeration, but his whole back is covered in baby food. Oh my God. <laughs> so here's what happened. I did some deductive reasoning here to figure this out. <laughs> Sherlock over there, here. There was a, a pouch, an opened pouch of baby food in my truck, mm. in my, like on top of my center console. Like I named names, but someone placed it there. I put my backpack on top of it, and it exploded everywhere. Like oh the backpack. I didn't know that until I walked That's into the, the building. So anyways, I was not wearing this super cool guy shirt originally. Okay. I went in and raided the closet and took one because I needed a shirt. So. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. That's the, perks, the perks of working here. Yeah. I love it. Wow. Anyways, on that note, just a quick shout out. I just got a text. If you uh, know dear Ryan and Amy Weber, their son Scott was just born this morning at wow. 10, 18, eight pounds, six, six hour labor. Congratulations. So we're praising God for that. 10 pounds. Eight pounds. Oh, I thought you said 10. Scott. Scott. That's cute. I haven't, you, you don't, I haven't met a baby Scott in a while. Scott. That's nice. Scotty, make, Scotty Webbs. It's making Scotty a comeback. Scotty Webbs. That's Come, awesome. Congratulations, Coming to a SoundCloud near you. Right? <laughs> wow. Well, hey, we. Uh, this is exciting for us. We, this last Sunday at the Crossing, just started our new teaching series. I mean, if you've been tracking with us, we've been in this series called Resurrection Life for the last few months, looking at 2 Corinthians uh, 2 through 5, and super life-giving, really useful, and just applicable for a lot of our kind of daily life type things. And now we're digging into Daniel. It's been a minute since we've been in the Old Testament uh, on our Sunday mornings. But one of the cool things about when we look at the Old Testament, I mean, there's there's a number of things, but one of them is it reminds us of just God's redemptive history and, and plan for humanity, you know, going back to creation all the way until Christ. And then here we are today looking ahead to Christ's return. You know, God knew what he was doing and he was making this promise and this covenant with his people long, long before Jesus came. So that's super encouraging always to go back and see that put into practice. But then also you see these people who just, man, person after person after person, if you go through the Old Testament, who didn't yet know who Jesus was, but they knew the promise of him. They, they knew the promise of the Messiah that would come and, and save the world. And so you see their faithfulness, you know, you see their faithfulness and their trust in, in Yahweh and God and also his promises. And Daniel is certainly an, an example of that, right, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. And, and it's such a beautiful picture because, you know, as, as Nathan walked us through kind of that history leading up to Daniel, uh, man, you just you just have to take into account, you know, some of the failures of Israel, um, you know, and and in the midst of that, the faithfulness of the one true living God, you know, and and how um, committed He was, even in the midst of the failure, even in the midst of the consequences for Israel's failure, um, to continue to remind them of of His perfect promises. And so, when you when you look at this this incredible narrative, at least the first six chapters, and then. The, the last few chapters of, of Daniel are going to be more visions that Daniel has. Um, but you're, you're in this context of exile, right? Of, of God's people have been complaining to God. They've been turning their eyes from God, looking to other competing gods who are not 
anywhere near the one true God, right? There, there are these spirit beings that have rule and dominion, um, and and they have some sense of power, but only as far as as Yahweh has allowed them to have. And here we find Daniel and his friends uh, in exile in the midst of this culture that is opposed to God, that have their own gods that they worship and serve. And so just to see that, man, I think that there's just a lot of implication for us, you know what I mean, in, in a culture that is opposed to God, you know, how, how to be a faithful servant to a sovereign God. Yeah, I think that's so great. And that was one of the things that I thought was really interesting. And maybe maybe we can unpack it a little bit here. Um, Nate did an amazing job, as you said, just painting the picture for us and kind of catching us up historically to to the context of where Daniel is at this point in history. And one of the things that Nate shared is that all throughout the book of Daniel, when when God is referenced, uh, usually in the Old Testament, you see Yahweh when it, when it says Lord. But if you look at how the, the term is used or translated here in Daniel, the original term is Adonai. And he explained that the idea there is it's emphasizing God's sovereignty um, in terms of you know, how he rules and reigns and how he basically orchestrates nations and governments and, and kingdoms for his purposes. And, you know, we were, we were talking offline earlier, Charlie, just about how the, this, we don't think in terms of Kings and gods in our modern world. Yep. And maybe you could just talk a little bit about that. How, how does, how is that, you know, those themes still in play, even if, even if we don't have a society that we're not, we don't serve it, you know, under a King, we're not part of a kingdom, quote unquote. We don't have temples with idols that we're, yeah, yeah, exactly. that we're dealing with. So, so do those things, are those things still in play in our modern world? And if so, how? Well, a hundred percent. Right. And, and man, I, I'll, I'll recommend this book in, and with a, with a 90% uh, recommendation rate. It's called the Unseen Realm, and if oh Nathan boy. were here, he would go with a hundred percent recommendation. So rate. for you, it's like a ninety percent on Charlie. Tomatoes. There's just things. I, I think more than anything, it's just stuff that I still have to think through and consider. I'm a you ninety-year know? also. Yeah, I read. It. I'm a ninety-year. Great stuff. Yeah, but what he lays out, and and it's you know just this this biblical worldview that that those in these times operated under. And I feel like the enemy has done a really good job of convincing the world that he doesn't exist, right? Convincing us that we are our own gods. We are our own uh, truth manufacturers, right? Like we get to come up with that stuff on our own. And that's the whole postmodern, you know, post-enlightenment period that, that, that we're in. Um, but what he lays out in that book is just this, this incredible picture of how our God has, has always been a relational God and that he's created these other spirit beings that he has invited in to be a part of his divine counsel and what he's doing and how he is unfolding history, all that kind of stuff. When he creates humanity, the idea is that now we too get to participate in that, but because of sin, that, that relationship is fractured, right? But he takes, us, he takes you through uh, really up to Babylon as being kind of the central thing, excuse me, not Babylon, Babel being the central thing in, in history where God disinherits the nations, right? He confuses language and he sends them off. And you find out, I think it's in Isaiah, where at this moment, God says, I'm disinheriting you and I'm putting these other spirit beings over you. Well, those are those spirit beings that are behind these idols, behind uh, these these uh, 
these worldviews and, and kingdoms that we see throughout the Old Testament. They have access to the divine. It's just not the ultimate divine, right? It's not, it's, it's not the ultimate God, the God who has created all of it. Um, and, and so, yes, this stuff is very much at play today, even though we don't use the same terminology or the same phrases. But we have to understand that our government is influenced by things outside of the natural realm. We have to understand mm-hmm. that we are continually influenced by things that are outside the physical realm. Now, the enemy operates within the physical realm, right? He's producing these mindsets. He's producing these worldviews and, and convincing us that this is the way to go. Um, but I think that we are very much under the same kinds of things that we see here. We just aren't as quick to name it. Yeah, and, and one of the themes of Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong, is that... God, he's showing himself to be greater than any of those, 100%. those rulers or authorities or, yeah, you or look, spiritual beings. I mean, and we'll right. get into it, but you look at the arc of King Nebuchadnezzar, which is the first four chapters, and it, and it starts off with his rule. He's a, he is the most powerful king probably ever to, to be on the planet, right? The breadth of his kingdom is, is larger than any other kingdom that has ever existed, um, and, and he... Uh, you know, he has his own God, I think, what is it, Mordok or something mm-hmm. like that? Yep. Um, and, and, and he's, you know, go, go going after those things. It, and and he, in the midst of, of, of capturing these nations, he's doing something a little bit different and bringing in, you know, the biggest and brightest, you know, the smartest and to try to assimilate them into his, into his stuff. Um, but man... He has, he has, it's an uncalculated error, I think, when he brings in these servants of the one true living God, right? The, the Lord of Lords, the one who has absolute sovereign rule over all things. Um, and, and so you see this, this arc where, you know, he, he notices that there's something unique about these guys. He has this dream in chapter two, which only Daniel is able to interpret and give him the, the accurate thing there. And in that process, he recognizes who, who, Daniel's God is like, surely you are the God of gods. He says at the end of chapter two and chapter three, we see him go off the rails again. And he builds this statue in, in, in honor of himself that he wants all of his people to, to worship. And the goal there is to unify the kingdom around himself. It's to try to find any, what are they called? Uh, distractors? No. That's not the word. Detractors. Detractors. <laughs> uh, and, and eliminate them so that he can, you know, consolidate his power. And then in chapter four, you see him get this vision of going crazy, right? Yeah. And he ends up going crazy. Like God l- lets him walk in his pride for a while and what that, what that produces. But ultimately, it, it results in a recognition once again of who God is. And so, yes, God is on the move in Nebuchadnezzar. He's on the move with, with the kings that will follow him. I mean, the stuff with Darius is incredible. Um, but at the same time, he's on the move in the lives of those that belong to him, that are resolved to stay loyal to him. Wow. Yeah. And I, I love that, just that picture of the whole arc with both Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and I feel like going into this, I'm really excited because I often, I think when we talk about Daniel, he often just gets boiled down to two encounters, you know, you think Daniel think, oh, den of lions, the you lion's know? den, or you think of Daniel and you think, oh, the fiery furnace, you know, and both of those, both of those encounters are amazing acts of God's sovereignty and his power, 
However, to me, reading through Daniel, like the most beautiful part of this and the most applicable part for us is not those two moments. It's just Daniel's consistency. It's his unwaveringness and how he is just trusting God's promises and then God's faithful time and time again to provide for him. Um, so absolutely, I'm excited to get into those two things as we get into, you know, chapters three and six, but man, every single chapter is what, what a, I feel like not very many others that we can look at scripture and just see so much, so much history, you know, and up, up against such opposition is just so like iron willed. And, and I think the word we're talking about today is resolve. He has resolve to weather these things. Yeah. And I love, I love what Nathan did of just that predetermined resolve and not predetermined in the sense that God has determined before all time, but it's, it's Daniel making this choice that this is how I'm going to live my life, even in the midst of a culture that is opposed to my God, even in the midst of a, of a, culture where I am serving a king that doesn't trust my God. Um, you know, there's just that, that predetermined resolve to continue to live um, to, to the glory and in loyalty uh, to Adonai, to Yahweh, right? Well, yeah. And, and I think one of the things that as you were explaining those arcs, Charlie, that I just want to go back to is, and just, I think point out is yeah, there's these there's these um, rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm that are influencing kingdoms and making things move behind the scenes. But this, uh, when when it really when push comes to shove, this competition between them and God is it, it's really no competition at all. No. That's one of the the markers of God's sovereignty that he's, he's better than them toe to toe. He's going to win because the way ultimately he's using them to orchestrate his plan. So even, even you, you could look and say, Oh no, like God's people have been taken captive and now they're exiles and living behind enemy lines. And this is terrible. And, but, but it's all part of God's, God's righteous judgment. And it's part of, you know, his plan to put Daniel in place to influence. And, and, and so I think a lot of times we, we see, we don't see the big picture yep. and maybe that's one of the, the lessons of, of reading Daniel is, is, is to just trust that God is uh, at the, you know, at, at the helm and, yep. and that there's nothing that's happening outside of his, you know, plan and, and perfectly ordained. He's orchestrating it perfectly. Yep. And yeah. he's, and he's, and I, I think in the midst of that, it, it emphasizes as it rightly should. And I think for us, we've got to make sure we're seeing this. It emphasizes his grace and his faithfulness that, that these promises he made to Adam and Eve, the promises he made to Abraham, the promises he made to Moses and through Moses to the people of Israel, the promise he made to David with his covenant, like it, that story is continuing, even in the midst of a consequence that Israel is bearing because of their unfaithfulness, they're going to go through this time of exile, this time of captivity, but that does not diminish the faithfulness and grace of God. He's continuing, like you said, um, through his power, through his authority, he's continuing to lay out the, yeah. the promise he has for his people. Now, before we move on to, to, to just look at Daniel's resolve and, and hopefully talk about some implications for us, some applications for us, where are some places, guys, where, where, where people can go? Because maybe this is a new concept for them of just thinking about what's happening behind the, the, the scenes, you know, peeling back the curtain of, of the spiritual realm. Like, where are some scriptures, some passages where people can go to just understand a little bit more, uh, you know, I don't know. It might be a new concept for people. Like where can they go and learn and read about where this stuff is mentioned? 
Um, I think you had mentioned uh, Ephesians six kind of yeah. at some point. So that's a great place to start. Do you have that up? Do you yeah, have some I do. of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so this is the section you know, starting in verse ten where Paul is telling us, "Hey, God has given us some equipment to work with here when we, as we are um, living life and navigating, and there's this um, reality going on that there's a spiritual war, right? That there's a battle, and we are we're in that battle." <laughs> And yep. just because it's not something we see or experience physically doesn't mean it's it's not real and doesn't mean that it doesn't influence and play out in the in the physical you know realm. And so in verse 12, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then so it goes on and just talks about what God has given us to withstand that evil, um, you know, to, to, to take hold of and stand firm. So, man, I, I think, do you think Charlie, like all of those different titles are, are talking about different, you know, beings. Yep. Spirit, spirit beings yeah, that yeah. have, that have some sense of authority and rule. Yeah. Though again, nothing compared to what God is, is right, up to, right? right? And and they're ones who who at some point in their in their history um, chose to rebel against yeah. God. They're they're not leading in a way that reflects God's leadership. And like in the Old Testament, when when gods are talked about, yep. the, the God of the Philistines, the God yep. of whatever, yep. they're the Old Testament is referring to these spirit beings. Exactly. Well, and that's the whole yeah. thing. What is it in First Corinthians, I think, where Paul gets into the whole thing of, you know, an idol is nothing, right? The, there, there is no real power to the idol. Right. But understand that when you are engaging in eating those foods sacrificed to idols, when, right. you're, when you're participating in that kind of an event, there, there is demonic forces and really just spirit being forces yeah. behind those idols that empower them in, in some way. Right. They're nothing compared to our God, but there is still that sense of, of, yeah. 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 yeah it reminds me of, um, just some of the discussions we've had on the staff about just the tactics of Satan and even this podcast, you know, and frequently the way he works is not, it, Satan is satisfied not only to have us worshiping him and evil things, but just to have us distracted, just to have our eyes off of God and his things, you know? And so often that's how it works with all these types of things we're talking about. Like one of the things going back to unseen realm that he hashes out in a chapter or two is, you know, there's the whole aliens thing, <laughs> aliens and UFOs. And mm. again, Satan is so cunning. Why is it that even Christian people, you know, when we see something, a video, Oh, unexplained sighting, people are so quick to be like, Oh, is that a UFO? Is that real? And, and that basic reaction of, Oh, could that be an angel of the Lord? You know, doesn't even cross their minds. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because Satan has been so cunning in making those things just further and further away from how popular culture deals with life and addressing those things, which is just crazy if you think about yeah. it. Like that we are more willing to accept the possibility of, of an, an alien spaceship yeah. than an angel of the Lord. Yeah. Like it really is crazy. It's Thanos. Look it out. must yeah, be Thanos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> must be. No, but but I, I feel like too this and, and this is part of the downstream effects of creating a secular society. If we're we're, we're pushing out anything supernatural, anything spiritual. And we're saying, nope, every, all, the only thing that is real is what's happening in our natural world. If I, if I can't touch it, you know, it's not real. And that's not how people have lived 
for generations and generations, like this is a relatively recent human phenomenon, this secularization of society. And yeah, I think, I think that the the enemy is perfectly comfortable with that. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Because, because it gets us to tune out and, and then there's going to be things that are going to happen where we, we can't explain it with our natural world. And so it just creates even more confusion and, and, uh, we, we drift even further away from God. Yep. Yeah. So, so that, I think that's an interesting thing for, for people to, to just, you know, be aware of. And, and I think it changes the way that we live because it, it makes us on, it, it makes us on guard. It makes us aware. It makes us on guard. And it also gives us purpose in, in the time that we live in, right? Like, you know, we, I already mentioned from, from Heiser's book, like this idea of disinheriting the nations. Well, what did God say to Abraham, through you, all nations will be blessed, saying that through your seed, I'm going to re-inherit the nations. And now we live in a time where all authority has been given to our Savior Jesus in heaven and on earth. He, he is the king now. He sits enthroned at the right hand of God. He, he has that kind of, of, of rule. And what does he do? He says, your job is to go out and make disciples of all the nations, to go out and re-inherit those nations. Now, it's God that's doing cool. that through us. That's cool. But that's what we live in now. And, and man, it, it's, I love that we get to study a, a book like Daniel, but in the context of after you know Jesus has yeah. come, he's he's already defeated Satan, sin, and death, and and we get to now enjoy that in a way that Daniel didn't. You know what I mean? Well, that's a great segue to to talk about what can we learn from from Daniel, you know, from this first chapter. So, Sean, kind of paint, paint the picture. What where did Nate where did Nate set it up for us? Yeah, I'm so glad that you just mentioned that because that's how I feel about just thinking like this lens that we're thinking about Daniel through is like. Yeah, on one hand, I know that we're, we don't feel like we're in a country where we're prisoners, you know? We feel like we have religious freedom in this country and whatnot. And yet at the same time, like, we have to acknowledge that that, that this nation and the world is against the message of Jesus. It is. You know, we're, we're now, I'm sure you've all seen on your whatever social media these last few weeks, the word theocracy is thrown out. And it's meant to be like a vile insult, you know, yep. that someone would, would dare want that for their nation. So it just shows you, like, even though on surface level, it may feel like there's this, like, pleasantry to, to religion in the U.S. At the same time, the second that gets real and, and there becomes real consequences for decisions being made per the gospel or not, man, the fangs come out and people yep. will defend that fiercely, you know? Yeah. So in our, that our way, buddy, our buddy, Timmy J has a hat that says theocracy now. <laughs> so good. He lo- that guy loves to stir the pot. He loves he? to stir the pot. I love it. But anyways, in that way, I feel like the parallels are, are really just useful for us looking at Daniel and specifically, you know, his were a bit more tangible as far as what some of those oppositions were and what some of his um, physical sufferings were, you know? And yet he really modeled what, what it looks like to develop and build, uh, like you said, predetermined resolve yep. and, and trust in who God is. And, um, you know, we're going to take a little pivot here because thankfully we have some benefits that, that Daniel didn't have when he was alive. He had hope in Christ. He didn't have new covenant in Christ, which we do, which yep. thank you, Jesus, that we do. And so it gives us additional tools and access. And we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so we can turn to just some of these things laid out by Jesus and laid out by Paul and, and other, other disciples that, that really help us understand how do we, with the help of the Holy Spirit, renew our minds and hearts to just develop and build this kind of constant day-by-day resolve as we navigate these cultural issues. And one of those things that Nathan brought up, which we were talking about a little bit, is in First Peter, right? Yeah. 
it's, um, I think it, it was a really good, uh, application, just an obvious kind of slam dunk for us. And, um, start, you know, starting in verse 13 of chapter one, we, we see this idea of preparing our minds for action and being sober minded. And then it says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, live as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Verse 17, since it is written, you should be holy for I am holy. And then 17 and 18 talks about, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Amen. Mm, And so he pulled out, you know, five different things and maybe we can just kind of mention a couple of them. You know, I'll say one of the things that, that really stood out to me from Nate's talk is, you know, when, when Daniel was, was basically, you know, he was being forced to, to conform. He was being forced to, to eat like the rest of his, his cohort was eating, but he didn't want to be lumped in with that. You know, he wanted to stay loyal and faithful to God. Um, you know, he, he, this speaks to the resolve, like he, even though he was deterred, he wasn't, he wasn't deterred by opposition. Right. And I think Nate brought up this idea of, man, have you ever been asked to do something at work that was against the gospel or against your convictions that you have, you know, your Christian convictions. And it's so easy to, to, to get discouraged if our first try fails, you know, and then, and he could have said, he could have said, and we all probably would have understood, well, I tried God. I I tried to do what you asked me to do, but the guy said, no, like, what am I supposed to do? He's my boss, you know? And I just thought about, I mean, that thought experiment was really, really powerful. And it made me think of someone in our church body. I won't, I won't say who, but, um, recently left their place of work because of an agenda that was being pushed. And she just felt like, man, I can't align myself anymore with this. I can't work hard uh, to push the, the purposes of this company forward because the, because of this core agenda that they have. Yeah. And she, I'm so proud of her because she put her money where her mouth is. She's like, I, I got to leave. You know, yeah. I, I got to. And, and I feel like there's a lot of people who are in those kinds of sticky situations. And I think Daniel's just a great example for us of like sticking to our guns having those tough conversations and then trusting that God is going to, is going to bless you on the back end, right? That he's going to take care of you. Um, whether it's moving you to a different place or giving you favor in your, in your supervisor's, you know, eyes, whatever. And, um, I just think like really what this stuff comes down to is like, where is our hope set? You know, I love that verse 13, like, are we putting all of our eggs in the basket such, such of a good God's line. promises? It's yeah. such a good line. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I, and I think it just really kind of builds upon what we've been talking about in our resurrection life series, like just developing that eternal perspective, like, like realizing what has God promised that he's going to do? What has he already done? And what is, what is the, the fulfillment of that promise going to be in the future? 
And that's where our hope is. Our hope isn't in our place of work. Our hope isn't in uh, the United States being, uh, you know, a theocracy. <laughs> like our hope is in what Jesus has promised. And and we have to put our stock in that. Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's so good. And I think it's important for us to recognize, you know, Daniel got to experience some immediate blessings because of his resolve, right? He, he did earn favor in his supervisor's eyes. He did earn, you know, a, a greater, uh, intellect and a greater, you know, I mean, God, God gave him incredible, um, Ability physically, and gifts, right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. In in the midst of that, but I love I love the clarity that the First Peter one passage gives us that our hope is not is not primarily set on the immediate benefits of our faithfulness. It is set on the revel- what's going to happen on that day of revelation. Because the truth is, some of you may come across this at work where you've got to sign a document that you do not agree with, and that's going to cause you to leave your your place of employment mm. and. It may be months before, you know what I mean, you find something else. Like we we may as a society move more and more towards a place where where it's gonna be harder and harder to find work because of of some of these agendas that are in play. And so it's so important for us, yes, to trust that God is gonna carry us, He's gonna supply what we need. If He if He feeds the birds and He and He and He clothes the lilies of the field, then He's going to take care of us. We can have that confidence. But the greatest confidence we have is what's going to be ours at the revelation of Jesus when he comes back. Mm. Amen. I love that. What about you, Sean? What's, what's one of those um, Daniel-like resolve points that, that stuck out to you? Yeah, I'm just kind of reminding, reminding myself from reading through them. And it's just, I like how you said it's a slam dunk for us because it really is each five of these steps are just so beautiful. You know, and I love what you just said about, about God, but, you know, I think that the, the putting all your eggs in your baskets, yeah, or in God's basket, it's just, it's too easy to not do that. <laughs> you know, it's too easy right now to mm-hmm. want to put our eggs in our 401ks, want to put our eggs in, you know, our jobs, want to put our eggs in buying a house in the Bay Area and all those things. So that one feels so tangible to me of just the types of things that I encounter and deal with as a husband and a dad in the Bay area, you know, Mm. and there is just something so freeing and so beautiful about really putting it all on the Lord, you know? And, and like you said, like Daniel received a lot of immediate benefits in doing this kind of process and, and unseen benefits too. We're, we're sure we assume, um, and so on one hand, it's like, as we do this, yeah, maybe he's not going to respond to every single one of those eggs the way I want him to. However, we can have absolute trust, you know, yep. knowing that he's working for our good, our well-being, that everything that's good and, and worthy of our pursuit, he, he's going to work towards, you know. And sometimes it's just a, a daunting, I don't know, a daunting emotional practice to think to yourself, oh, I'm going to have to really pray this out and... It could be that that the Lord's perfect plan for his kingdom and for my family is that I never buy a house in Pleasanton. Yep. You know, that could mm. be in his wisdom. And it's one thing to say that, but then to be okay with that, that's a harder practice for a lot of people. Um, but I think it goes back to just, again, knowing who this God is. Well, and I think, and man, what a perfect tie-in back to our last series of Resurrection Life, right? Yep. I mean, it's it's so clear in the life of Paul, um, his willingness to lay everything down, mm-hmm. you know, his, his physical well-being, his, you know, whatever it might be, right. He's, he is ready to lay everything down. 
uh, because one, he trusts God to take care of his well-being for as long as God's going to take care of his well-being until yeah. he brings him home. But even more so, he trusts that God is going to use that faithfulness to make him more like Jesus. And God is going to use that faithfulness to reveal to this world that is opposed to the gospel, the beauties of the gospel. Man. And so, man, if, if, if that's our hope, and that's, and that's the big thing, right, is, is are we hoping that God is going to, you know, get us a, a Learjet? Are we hoping that God is going to, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. like going to, gonna, you know. Give me those Jordans. Give me those Jordans, you know, Wh- whatever it might be. God's going to give me the house. Like if that's where our hope is set, it's, it's set on the scene, Right. And, and that's not what we're told to do. We are just told to set our hope on the unseen. And that's what's so beautiful. Even like you look at chapter three, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to face the fiery furnace. And what do they say? They say, you know, uh, our God exists. He, he can save us. He will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're never going to bow down to this mm, idol, yeah. right? That kind of resolve, because they understand that, that life is more than just what we see now. And, and they have that kind of confidence. And so to, to really have that resolve to develop our hope, to say, man, what is it that I'm hoping in? And is it worthy stuff is so important. Yeah. And just the perspective there, you know, not only just unseen versus seen, but me versus everyone else. You know, I'm just reminded that, that this, this is our purpose. You know, yep. if we put our trust in, in Jesus, we, you... Hey, guess what? If you've trusted Jesus, you're a full-time minister, period. Yep. You are called to full-time ministry. I kind of hate the verbiage that we get into working as pastors of like, oh, I'm in full-time ministry. I'm in part-time ministry. And like, I work. No, no, no. Like we are all called to be full-time ministers with every moment of our lives for the glory of Jesus. And, and what that means is that, you know, the things that we're blessed with, that God's provided to us, both physical things, uh, our spiritual gifts, all those kinds of things. They're not for us. And we so often treat them like they are for us. You know, like I, I like that I'm good at X, Y, Z. It's, that's great. Thank you, God, for giving me that gift. That's not for you. God gave you that gift for you to use that to serve those around you, you know, to glorify him. God made you to serve others. And so that the reminder of that calling, I think, really helps in that 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 process of putting all your eggs in God's basket. Because, you know, and this isn't God's God's purpose for me on this earth is not to buy that nice car, you know, it's not to whatever, get that new racket thing or whatever, whatever your hobby is, you know, God's purpose is to use you powerfully for the glory of his son, Jesus every day, you know? And so anyways, with that, both of those reminders of just who is God, what is he working towards? What are the things he wants us to be working towards? And then what is our calling, you know, as, as participators, as ministers of this new covenant, what's our calling? And it's well, serving others. It is. And, and I, I want to I bring us a, a little further in First Peter, because there is, there is something about this, this, these first couple chapters of First Peter that I do think Peter has some of the Daniel story in mind. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 9 through 12. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession— for this reason, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Hmm. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you. So in light of that, he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember, we are strangers in a foreign land. This world is not our home. You know, we're here for a reason, but we are these sojourners and exiles. He says to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. 
Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Why? So that when they speak against you as evildoers, does that sound relevant right now? Mm. When they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Man, that's what we, that's, that's it, right? That's what we're doing. We are exiles. We are sojourners in a foreign land. We are, we are living in a society that is opposed to God, but God is in the process of re-inheriting that, this society. He's in the process of using us to showcase who he is, the excellencies of the gospel to those around us, so that even those that would call us evildoers will glorify God on the day of visitation. Which, man, is just another parallel with Daniel. Like, all the things that we desire for our nation, all the things we desire to help that process of Christ reestablishing and reinheriting those things you just mentioned. The way to get there is as we look to Daniel, it's faithfulness. Yep. It's just consistent faithfulness. And look at, like you said, Nebuchadnezzar, who's the probably the most powerful ruler of his time. And the things that convinced his heart were not these big shows of force from Daniel. You know, it was humility and faithfulness and resolve in, in knowing who God is. So, yeah, great, great lesson for us. Yep. I love it. Sure do. I think we, I think we crushed this, guys. <laughs> yep. Bingo. Uh, yep. I mean, what else do we have to say? I, I think we did it, guys. Mm-hmm. This, I mean... That's it, right? Like that's, I don't know, like there's so much in, in this, in this book, there's so much in the first chapter, but like we've talked about the core of it, what it comes down to is like, we've even subtitled the series, a faithful servant of a sovereign God, of a God who rules and reigns over all of creation, uh, a God who's going to establish his son as, as the, the, uh, the king of all time, um, that, that we can walk in the midst of, of, uh, difficult circumstances culturally. We can walk in the midst of, of those hard things in a way that promotes God's peace and promotes his, his glory um, by having this kind of resolve. Wow. Yeah. And, and maybe just an encouragement Nate had uh, in the reflection and discussion questions, just a little experiment for us to, to work on and um, ask us to just think through either past experience or something that is coming up, an encounter or a situation where your loyalty to Jesus may be put to the test. And he asked us to basically apply the five action steps from first Peter 13 through 19 to that situation. Mm. And so as of today, you can still go online and get the notes if you don't still have them. Uh, And you can, you can read through that. Um, but even if you don't have the exact bullet points from Nate's message, just look at first Peter 13, chapter one, 13 through 19, and just, you know, see, see what the applications might be for that encounter or that experience. I think it's a, it's a great thing to do because like we said earlier, uh, you know, that these, these encounters might be happening more and more, you know, as, as the world shifts more and more. Yeah, and just that importance of that predetermination that you are determining now how you will act in the future. Yeah, because if we wait until if we wait until it happens, it's it, a little easier to get swept into the yeah to get to get conformed to it. Yeah, that's, that, that's great. Actually, just thinking about that, you know, if you probably if he if if he didn't go in there with his predetermined resolve, 
and you ask Daniel if, as he's in the middle of a fiery furnace, hey, <laughs> he would probably say, oh, this sucks, you know? Mm-hmm. And yet we do the same thing of just, we, we, or it's like a little compromise. It's like, oh, I'll just, I'll just eat the, I'll eat the food. You know, I'll drink the drink. Like it's, it's fine. Everyone else is doing it. It's not a big deal. It's yeah. not a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or yeah, or even it's, it's sneaky even. Oh, I'll do it in a way where I can be a light and influence to others mm-hmm. or whatever it is, you know? And it's just like, man, nonsense. You get that resolve. You trust God and who he is and he's going to, he's going to come through. Enough said. Amen. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining us on Behold this week as we continue on in Daniel in these next couple months. If you have any questions, hit us up. Hope to see you this Sunday at both campuses as we get into Daniel 2 and 3. And then, of course, next week on Behold. Bye. Bye. See you. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes of Behold. If you would like more information about Valley Bible Church or if you'd like resources from this episode, go ahead and check out vbc.online forward slash behold. Catch you guys next week.